Welcome to localjobnetwork.com radio. You've tuned in to Minding Your P's and Q's, where we often examine the treacherous aspects of business and employment etiquette from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Today we're actually looking at employee and employer rights, so even beyond the idea of etiquette and into the legal realm. Now, you may have heard of a recent decision by the Iowa Supreme Court to hold up a previous decision ruling that an employer, a male dentist, was within his legal rights in firing his female dental assistant of 10 years for being, quote-unquote, irresistibly attractive and a threat to his marriage. Now, while the two were never involved in a relationship, they shared some general text messages and the dentist said she wore tight and distracting clothing. So to help us sort through sort of the legal aspects here and broaden the discussion, really, to the overall rights of employers and employees, we've brought in attorney Randy Enox from Enox Law Firm, an experienced attorney in labor and employment law. Thanks a lot for coming in, Randy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I guess the first thing really is when you first heard of the story, saw it, what was that basic initial reaction you had to it? Well, as a, I represent plaintiffs, uh, working people a lot, so the, the decision was troubling because when these decisions come out, they often create hurdles for uh, workers because it limits their rights. But it is an Iowa decision, so I didn't really uh, feel too threatened by it. But I was troubled by sort of the headline. But when you do labor and employment law, everything's very, really, really fact-specific, mm-hmm. meaning uh, just because the court held in this case, it's not a bright line holding for every case. That is, it's not to say that if this happened again, depending on the facts, that the Supreme Court or any court would have ruled would rule the same. Uh, so it does really, really matter. And so I wanted to make sure I read the case to kind of see what the facts were to see if even after the facts, if the Supreme Court still made a decision that I felt comfortable with. But in this case, I, I still didn't feel comfortable <laughs> with it. I mean, have you ever had a case similar to this in any way? Or, or maybe you've you've read some sort of precedent on it in another state. As you said, it does vary in, in many cases to state to state there. No, I had only heard about it maybe a, a summer ago, a little over a year ago. There was a, a secretary of sorts who was let go for quote-unquote being too sexy, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And she was just dressing a little too provocatively. Uh, and it was distracting all the male workers. So they deemed that to be kind of a problem, let her go. I don't think any litigation resulted because I didn't hear of any uh, sort of case law coming out of it. But mm-hmm. uh, I've never had anybody come to me with this problem, employer or employee, because uh, sometimes some small businesses will come to me with some of their legal issues. But I've never had this before. So it's not an issue I had uh, previously pondered or thought about. Now, you know, again, when we're speaking in generalities as best we can with, with her situation, you know, they ended up claiming that it was gender discrimination. And I ask you as an attorney if she would have come to you, again, as much as you know about the case, you don't know all the details, obviously. But I mean, do you see that as a poor strategy? Because some argued it should have been a sexual discrimination and, and versus you know gender discrimination or sexual harassment. I'm sorry, instead of gender discrimination. I mean, how much how much does that play into it? What does her role in the whole situation play into it? We talk about some text messages or dressing quote unquote provocatively that sort of thing. I mean. What's sort of your take in terms of strategy and how that all would have played out? Well, with sexual harassment, I think in the opinion, if, you, if you're an attorney and you read it, you kind of see why some of the wording was put into the opinion. The reason sexual harassment probably wasn't pursued was because she never complained hmm. about any of the text messages or conduct. And that's a huge, huge thing with sexual harassment. There was a case where a woman, she was, a, it was again a dental office, and I, but I think she was a receptionist. And she had received some 80 really 
lewd and explicit text messages from uh, the dentist, filed a sexual harassment claim and it was dismissed, the reason being she never complained. If the employer doesn't have a chance to remedy the, the harassment, then there's liability is not imputed. So I think that's why that wasn't pled in this case. But that would leave sex discrimination as a very viable claim because it seems clear to me, abundantly clear, that she was fired because she's a woman and he had an attraction for her. Mm-hmm. If it was a male, presuming the guy's completely heterosexual, it wouldn't have been an issue. Uh, and the court did talk about it at length, you know, because they did acknowledge that, yes, she probably wouldn't have been fired but for her uh, her, her gender, but that's exactly it. They said it's because but for her gender, sure. uh, weighing everything else in previous precedent, uh, that this was a legit termination. Well, let's touch on the, the sexual harassment side of it. I know it's not a part of this case per se, but you brought up that in those cases, there needs to be a, a complaint so that the employer has the opportunity to sort of remedy that, whether it's themselves or, a, you know, another employee. What's your suggestion then to those workers that are listening? And, you know, many may be female and feel that, that, that this is happening to them. Maybe it's a text message. Maybe it's other comments, that sort of thing. What should they be doing before they do pursue that sort of legal action so that they don't just get dismissed like in a case such as this might happen? Well, I mean, that right. You do have to, if you're going to have a subsequent claim, there's a component that you complained and allowed the employer an opportunity to remedy it. A lot of people, that's easy to state, but put in that situation, a lot of employees, they're conflicted. They don't, they don't know if they complain, if they're going to be retaliated against. Mm-hmm. They don't want to create any drama, any stress. Uh, so a lot of times they don't do anything. Sometimes it stops, sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it reaches a point where they do have to complain, but a lot of people think they might be penalized for waiting too long. Uh, but I always tell people, you know, maybe the, you don't complain at first, it's up to you, it's your comfort level, it depends on what happened. Uh, because I have seen it where people put a bullseye and they just get on HR's radar mm-hmm. uh, over nothing really. So. I always advise people to consult with an attorney because something they might think is sexually harassing might not be actually sexually harassing at all. Uh, so it's always good to listen to a second opinion and uh, before you go and create any sort of drama uh, or at least arouse HR's attention to you. Uh, but no, I mean, you definitely want to, if you're feeling uncomfortable, feel really strongly, uh, have a discussion with whomever is appropriate, whomever uh, your workplace is designated as a person to talk to, um, and create a, start creating a record uh, because it could escalate. And, you know, it's always best to stop it uh, before anybody's fired and you have to go through years of litigation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is it enough, like if somebody, say, we're sending you emails, is it enough to just save that and document, or do you need to bring it to the attention. Um, you know, maybe you have 20 emails that just shows inappropriate language or, or stuff like that, you know, toward the individual. Is it enough to just have that and then end up saying, look, this has been going on, or do you have to make sure it gets to the employer before any legal aspect sort of gets involved? Yeah, I mean, if you're getting things with a paper trail, right, you save them, uh, and then that's what you would ultimately present to HR and say, you know, I'm feeling harassed and this is why and look at these emails and maybe HR will see it differently. But if, if there's a sexual component to mm-hmm. whatever the emails, text messages, whatever it may be, um, items left on your desk even. I had a, a friend actually who found a pair of underwear in her drawer. <laughs> so, I mean, that's something you definitely want to bring. a little disturbing. Right. So it comes in all forms, sexual harassment. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you would want to – save everything and document it and, you know, who, what, when, where, that type of thing. And 
uh, present it to HR and say, I'm feeling sexually harassed and uh, this is why. And it's up to them. A lot of cases come down to, well, did the employer do anything? Right. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If their response is to terminate you, then there you go. If it's to do nothing, then, you know, if it continues again, you can file a claim and then you will have at least complained and they didn't do anything about it. So then the liability would be with them if they're ultimately, if the sexual harassment is ultimately held to have been found there in, in that type of situation. Sure. Now, in looking at that, and again, even going back to this this case in Iowa, um, you know, you have the, the idea of sexual harassment or gender discrimination, um, for example, but doesn't the burden of proof have to be somewhat tough on the employee because you've heard of cases in the past and not just in, in a sexual way, but any sort of people see as frivolous lawsuits or, or someone's just trying to get money from the employer. They figure, oh, they're worth this much money. I can get 20 grand, 50 grand out of them just by suing in some way. Do you appreciate and understand why the burden of proof is difficult on the employee in a case such as this? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it, it is hard. The defense bar is aware that the burden can be somewhat high, and it does vary from state to state and even state court versus federal court. Mm -hmm. And every year the statistics come out on these types of claims and you know, at what point did the plaintiff fail? Was it at motion to dismiss? Was it motion for summary judgment? Was it a loss at the jury? Uh, so we're aware of how hard the claims are. Um, and, you know, that's the beauty of litigation. There's always several points where a claim can be shot down before it just racks up in time and money and uh, potentially going to a a trier of fact, whether it be a jury or a, in Wisconsin administrative law judge at the, the state level. Uh, so when I, I guess speaking for myself, I get claims and I put them under a microscope just to make sure that I've got a real legit viable claim mm -hmm. because, you know, you do all this work and it's not necessarily to be that because some employers take the stance they won't settle anything. Okay. So they'll just say, I'd rather give my attorneys 20000 and fight this thing. Uh, so knowing that, I, I always plan for that type of employer uh, to make sure if I'm bringing a claim, it's legit and uh, it's worth something. So a lot of these claims do settle, but it's not wise to just file claims, you know, just to accuse your employer of something. Sure. Um, and that's, yeah, that is why the burden is so high. And uh, the defense bar knows that and they really, you know, attack you in the early stages. Now, as we were talking before the show and obviously and myself just making sure I understood some of the sides of it, the reality is an employer can fire an employee in most cases or just about anything. You don't even have to give a reason in a lot of instances. Um, you know, protected classes being an area where they you know, have to stay away from, obviously. But I mean, can you explain a little bit to the listeners why that is and, and the reasoning behind it just so they have an idea? Because some people don't realize that, hey, as much as an employee, you can leave when you want. An employer can say, hey, it's time to go and not give you a reason. So what, and is there a specific reasoning behind that? What you're referring to is it's known as the at-will doctrine and most employees in every state just about, but for things like uh, labor contracts between a union and an employer or individual employment contracts, a lot of sort of high up people will have these employment contracts, mm -hmm. people like physicians or uh, CEOs, things like that. But otherwise, I mean, the great majority of employees are what are known as at-will employees, meaning at any point, at any time, you could be fired for any reason or no reason at all. And the only exceptions are going to be unless the employer is letting you go be with discriminatory animus or, you know, there's certain labor laws that could be violated or if somebody's being retaliated against for doing something protected. But otherwise, if you know, you could be doing your job just fine 
and come in on Monday and the employer says you're fired and you say for what? And they just say, because I don't want you here anymore. <laughs> and unless there's something more to it, that's a totally legitimate termination. And that just doesn't sit well with a lot of people and they right. don't understand it. But the, the main reason is that because employees can quit whenever they want. And that can create a huge burden on employers because it takes a lot of time and effort and resources to train people to do a job well. And especially if you've been doing the job for a while and you up and quit, uh, you know, that's a burden on the employer. Now, maybe that burden's not as great as an employee who's relying on uh, a job to pay the mortgage and bills and things like that. An employer just posts a sign can probably get a new employee a lot sooner. Uh, so there has been some sort of a movement to kind of alter the at-will doctrine just because of the disparity and uh, sort of power between, you know, who's got the better side of the deal on the at-will doctrine. But uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to be modified at all. Um, in the time being. But in Wisconsin, if you're let go in the manner I kind of described, your sort of consolation prize would be unemployment insurance. Sure. You know, you can collect. Well, and you and I bring this up to people too. They say, well, you know, common courtesy for an employee is to give two weeks. Why does an employer do that? And I say, well, if you know you're going to get laid off in two weeks, how, I mean, would you even trust yourself to do your job well and not some sort of sabotage? Again, I'm not saying everybody out there is, is looking to do some sort of evil thing, but I mean, there's complications there. So I think that's part of what goes into that. Now with a case like this and some of the things we've been talking about, I think an important aspect of it, and, and I just want you to touch on it maybe, is this idea between things that might seem fair versus legal. I mean, you talked about a little bit about, you know, the specific facts of a case, how important that is. And, and we're not basing anything off of what seems fair, because even the Supreme Court in Iowa said, yeah, it's probably not fair that he did this, but legally there's nothing wrong with that. Is there a good way that you're able to describe that? Maybe to clients that come to you and say, you know, look, there's a difference here. Yeah, it seems crummy, but legally it is what it is. I mean, how do you sort of explain that to people? Well, I mean, you can get really deep with it and say, well, having a job is not a right. It's not in the Constitution, and so it's not a right. There's poor people everywhere. You know, you can get really deep with this, but um, it's the way it is just because employers, the government's not going to, there's no law that says, hey, you may not get along with this person. You may not even like them. Maybe they just irritate you. Maybe they just just dress poorly. Anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything from even hygiene. Um, and you let, you don't have to be stuck with that person. And so that's just kind of how it is. And you're correct. A lot of employers don't give two-week notice. They kind of just terminate you, and that's your last day for all the reasons you kind of stated. But, um, you know, like I said, unions are on the decline. There's, it doesn't seem like uh, the legislature wants to do anything about the at-will doctrine. Uh, so it's kind of the way things are. You know, and, and employers would argue it kind of keeps things in check because employees want to incentivizes them to do the best they can just so that they're not let go. But, you know, I suspect when, you know, there's kind of the employer is doing poorly and has to let people know, uh, go, I think a lot of people kind of tend to sense that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I do get quite a, fit, a few phone calls from people who say, hey, I was just let go. I don't understand why or mm-hmm. get it. But I, I don't get that many people who say, I was doing my job fine. Uh, this came out of nowhere. I don't get it. Um, I don't get too many people, employers who just utterly take advantage of that will doctrine and sure. say, you know what, I'm gonna, I got this at will thing here. I can just, I'm just gonna let Susie go just because. <laughs> you know, I don't get too many uh, sadistic employer uh, actions like that. And that's, you know, again, going back to that case in Iowa, it, it wasn't. He didn't portray it as just an at will. He actually gave a reason as the idea of the, again the assistant was. 
irresistibly attractive and, and a threat to his marriage. And I did. I want to. I want to ask this question. And again, feel free with whatever angle you want to take on it. But the idea that, in my view, and, and from what with things we read there, that he made this decision in part. Uh, he made a business decision in part because of a, a personal concern. Is there any law that that discusses that? Any language that that there's a concern with that, or is that? legitimate like, as, as a reason if you're sort of fighting this discrimination type case that, that, the, uh, that the dental assistant brought up? No, I mean, that's totally fine. There isn't a law that says, you know, you can't make terminations based on personal decisions. But I think really the, the decision maker here was his wife. His wife was the one that was comfortable. She's the one who, kind of, I guess he was away and she's the one who discovered this and then immediately said, you got to let this woman go. Uh, but it, no, it doesn't violate the law to let personal into the workplace and feel your decisions. So uh, <laughs> I, I see it often, you know, whether it's family or in this case, you know, somebody's attraction for another uh, that, we, you know, people work together and sometimes personal relationships develop and that comes with the, well, that just comes along with the territory. And again, as you mentioned before, I think sometimes it's hard for people to just get it, so to speak, when stuff like this happens. Um, you know, I think for the most part, people understand the at-will idea and, and why that occurs. Um, it's just in this case, ears perk up, eyes widen when you say that's why she was fired, that's, this. that's why we sort of wanted to bring this up and, and discuss it a little bit. Just overall then, I mean, what, what is sort of your best advice to employees in terms of protecting themselves in some way? Um, again, yes, we know that they can be let go for any reason, but in this specific case, is there a way that she could have protected herself more? We talked about documenting. and I mean, is that really what it just comes down to is, is getting information out to the people that need to hear it before you end up saying, hey, I'm going to sue for this reason? Well, I guess what's problematic with this decision is she worked for this dentist for 10 years mm-hmm. or so. Yep. No problems. He even admitted in a deposition he, she was probably the best he's ever had as a dental assistant. She had no disciplines, no performance issues. Uh, he was apparently a little out of line a couple times, but I think given the 10-year relationship, I mean, at some point something maybe inappropriate is going to be said, but it was some sort of text message. The court picked up on it, and she was let go. I don't know what – she didn't even complain. I mean, I don't know what more she could have done. Sure. I, I think really it just came down to the wife's pure jealousy and anger over her husband's sort of inappropriate behavior given they were married, and this woman had to pay the price. I, you know, I really honestly don't know what she could have done except maybe looked for a new job, but it sounded like everything was fine 10 years. That's a really long time to stay with an employer, mm-hmm. and it seemed like everyone was happy. So it's unfortunate, and I guess what's also further problematic as well, I mean, if she's accused of sort of being too attractive here, where can she work? I mean, does she just kind of... Well, now it's public for everyone, too. It's like, oh, aren't you that woman that... (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it just kind of... Where does it end if employers don't hire certain women because they're too attractive or so I, there's a I think there's a slippery slope and even the court said because she argued well what if he lets go of every woman because he doesn't trust himself sure, sure. you know then the court said well yeah, probably that's an issue uh, but yeah I mean I in this in her case because like I said every case is different and fact specific you know I read it and I there wasn't anything she <laughs> there was no wiggle room for her to really save herself just given the wife discovering this I, I feel like you're trying to you, you want to say like I wish I had something better to say I wish I had better news so to speak but it's it's just the legal aspect of it and then there 
because it sounds like she didn't really know this was coming, right? I mean, so she couldn't prepare for it or, or document anything like you talked about before. Right. And I mean, like I said, she didn't complain. And, you know, that's for one of two reasons. Either she genuinely didn't feel harassed by the text message. I, I think it was something about, well, I think it was a little explicit, but he had asked her a question. She didn't respond. She kind of mitigated it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's either because she didn't feel harassed or didn't want to stir the pot and create any drama. Uh, which might have been a safe play. But, I mean, she there was she couldn't have prevented this man's wife from discovering all of this. And, you know, she was never inappropriate with them in turn. So it seemed like she did everything she was supposed to do. But, yeah, in the end, when you're at will, you know, people get fired all the time. There's, sometimes you just can't save your job. Yeah, I mean, again, as you've brought up a few times, obviously, that's it's just – it is what it is, so to speak, as bad as that sounds on the legal side of it. That, that's going to trump you know, our feelings and our thoughts and emotions in this stuff. So um, I, I do definitely appreciate you discussing this. I know it's it can be tricky because we're talking about a specific case, and it could be different for somebody that gives you a call or, or has a similar situation. Unfortunately, we're going to need to wrap things up here, though, on minding your P's and Q's. We definitely touched on some interesting points and aspects of the idea of employment and, and labor laws. Um, hopefully, you all gain some perspective from both sides of the ledger and, and why these things do occur and and again how to protect yourself if you're going through a a situation that's similar our expert guest with us today has been randy enox of enox law firm randy how can people get in touch with you if they are interested in your advice or uh, or legalese well there's always good old google but (laughs) my telephone number is 414-847-6405 i have a website it's the uh, milwaukeeemploymentattorney.com all my i have a blog it's called the wisconsin employment labor law blog where i write routinely on Uh, all kinds of issues of interest to people. So, Great. Well, thanks again for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, we're always interested in hearing from you, the listener, as well. So please drop us an email at ljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. If you have any comments or suggestions for this show or any of our programming on localjobnetwork.com radio. Until the next time we meet, I'm your host, Tim Muma.